I ask today that uh, you'll take this uh, text that we're looking at in Genesis 25, and as we look at these two prayers, this one by Rebecca, one by Rebecca, and one by Isaac. Lord, I just ask that you help us to learn some lessons about our own prayer life, Lord, to help us to learn what it means to have prevailing prayer, the kind of prayer that gets answers. Lord, we we have so many things that we need your help with, and sometimes it seems we don't get those answers. So, Lord, we can learn a little bit today about just how we do that. So I just ask that, Lord, you teach us uh, the things you would have us to learn, but especially about this subject of prayer, Lord. So I just ask for your blessing on our service today and uh, blessings on uh, our Bible study. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 33, the Lord says to all of us, he says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. What's it mean to call on the Lord? When, what Jeremiah was talking about there, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was talking about crying out to the Lord like a little baby cries out uh, for her mother. Uh, and uh, crying out is an integral part of what we call prevailing prayer. Now, what's prevailing prayer? Prevailing prayer is prayer that gets answers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it like this. He says, prevailing prayer is the chariot of fire which takes us into the presence of God and brings down answers from God down to this earth. Uh, so, so prevailing prayer is very important. And we're going to look at two prayers that prevail today. Uh, when we look at this prayer of Isaac and we look at this prayer of Rebekah. Now we, but before we get to that, we've got to go back to our story of Abraham. So, so if you will, go to chapter 25 and we'll finish up Abraham's life here in, in uh, uh, chapter, the first part of chapter 25. And man, I've got to tell you, the guy was busy right up until he died. Uh, God had given him a, a new reproduction system and so... Uh, man, he, he, he went to work. Uh, verse, chapter 25, verse, one, verse number 1. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, some people say that Abraham was a polygamist and, and that he married Keturah sometimes while he was married to Sarah, but I don't think so. I think he had learned his lesson from his relationship with Hagar, and if he hadn't learned the lesson, I know Sarah had, and I don't think she was going to allow him to have another wife. So she might allow him to have a few concubines, but he didn't have a he didn't have another wife. So I believe that this is chronological. And so sometimes after Sarah had died, Abraham took on another wife. And look what happens. He has lots of children. And she bore him Zimran. Now, now uh, Brandon's going to have fun with me and these names, but I'm going to get them, Brandon. You watch this. He said he wouldn't have missed his service for anything in the world. But anyway, she bore him Zimram. Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishka, Ishba, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Shuram, Letushim, and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abadah, El- Eldeah, and all these were the children of Keturah. So she bears him all of these sons, and there's one there of note you should notice, and that is uh, Midian, because we know that the Midianites became arch enemies 
uh, of Israel. And when you think of the Midianites, you don't think of them as being descendants of Abraham, but they were. Uh, but uh, in the book of, we'll see them in the book of Judges. Uh, when uh, Gideon battles against the Midianites, they were marauders who came down into Israel and, and raided the land and took their crops. And uh, Gideon goes to war against them and defeats 130,000 uh, Midianites. So we'll see them there. Uh, but th- they weren't all bad because we also see Zipporah, who is Moses' wife, she was a Midianite, and her father-in-law was a really good man. He was the prince of the Midianites. Uh, his name was Jethro. So, so they weren't all bad, but uh, for the most part, they gave Israel a lot of trouble. All right, then we pick up now in verse number 5, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Now, he didn't give all that he had. He gave most of what he had because it says, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines and sons of Keturah, which Abraham had had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, far away from Isaac, his son, to the country uh, of the east. So he gives these generous gifts. No doubt he gave them a grub stake so that they could get on with their life and have a prosperous life of their own. But he was a very, very wealthy man. And most of what he had, he gave to his son Isaac. And then he sent them far, far away because he knew that when he died, they were going to cause trouble for Isaac because he was the favorite son. And so, so he sends them away. And then in verse number seven, it says, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. He lived a long time. So if Abraham was 175, then that would have made Isaac, uh, 75. Ishmael would have been 88 when he, when Abraham died. And here's the interesting thing. Jacob and Esau would have been 15 years old when Abraham died. Died, And that's a very important fact to remember because uh, Esau is going to be the firstborn and he's going to be the one who is going to inherit all the promises that were given by God to Abraham. And I, no doubt Abraham favored Esau and he gave, told Esau about these promises and he told him that these promises were here. And that's what makes it so bad when, later on next week when we see Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of stew, a bowl of lentil soup. I mean, not even stew, it was lentil soup. So, so uh, he really profaned his birthright. All right, then in verse number 8, it says, Then Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephraim the son of Zorhar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried uh, with Sarah and his wife. Uh, Sarah, I'm Sarah, his wife. All right, so the first thing you notice about Abraham here is about his death is that he died of a, look at this again, a good old age, a man full of years. You know, it's not, the quantity of life that's important here. It's the quality of life. Abraham had a quality of life. He had a quality of life because he was a man of God. He was a man of faith. And so all of his years, his years were full. All of his years were important. All of his years had a purpose. And so he died at a good old age. I mean, he was in good health when he died. Here he is having all of these children when he died. And God had blessed him right up until the very end. And hopefully that can be said for all of us, that our life has purpose and that 
right up until the point that we die, that, that our life is full of good things, the good things that God gives. I'm not talking about so much the good things of this world. I'm talking about the good gifts that God gives us. We want to die full of, a, a life full, a, a life that we enjoy, a life that has purpose. And then the, the next thing you look at here uh, uh, is that uh, he was gathered to his people. Now, notice the secret sequence here that takes place. Abraham is gathered to his people, and then he's buried at the cave of Machpelah. Now, that tells us something. What does it mean to be that he was gathered to his people? Well, it means that he passed from this life through death. Uh, and So he did, his soul didn't sleep, but he passed from this life through death to be with the people of faith, people like his, his ancestors, the people of faith like Shem and Noah and Enoch. That's where he went. So Abraham, Abraham's soul never slept. Abraham's, I mean, you can go today and you can go to, to the cave of Machpelah and, and, uh, in Hebron and, and, and you can actually see where Abraham's bones are buried there. But that he's not there. We know that because remember what Jesus said about Abraham. Remember when the Pharisees, the, actually it was the Sadducees, who were trying to argue, make a case that there is no resurrection. And Jesus made an argument against their case. And listen to what he says. Go with me over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And pick up at verse number 26. Mark chapter 12, verse 26. He says, but concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses? In the burning bush passage, which we know as Exodus, how God spoke to him saying, I am, not I was, not I will be, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. These, are, these men are still alive is what Jesus was saying. He is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken if you don't believe in the resurrection. There is a resurrection. Now, here's the question. If Abraham's body was buried at Machpelah, then where was Abraham? Well, Abraham, we know he was in paradise. I'm not going to go there, but you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And remember how Lazarus died, and where did he go? He went to be in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man went to the other part of uh, Abraham was in paradise, and the, the rich man went to the other part of Hades, which was a place of punishment. So there's two compartments there down in Hades. Uh, but one of those compartments has been emptied out because when Jesus died and he paid for our sins and we were, then had access to heaven, Abraham ascended to heaven when Jesus ascended to heaven. And so Abraham, where's Abraham now? Abraham's in heaven. Now going back to Genesis chapter 25, Let's look at the next thing in this passage that we want to notice. And, and this is really interesting to me. That look who's here at this funeral. Ishmael. Now, you've got to give Ishmael a lot of credit. But remember the last time he saw his dad? You remember what his dad did? He sent him out into the wilderness, him and his mom, Hagar, and he gave him a loaf of bread and a skin of water. And, they had, and just told him, get out of here. And, and, and really, he left them to die, his own father. But here he is at his father's funeral, 
And he's forgiven his father. Now, I got to tell you, that guy had a heart. I think he had a better heart than Isaac. You got, you got to give him a lot of credit here. I mean, to, to, to show up at his dad's uh, uh, funeral and, and uh, tells me he had a lot of character. He had a tender heart. Uh, and, but God had blessed him. There's no doubt God had blessed him greatly. He had met the angel of the Lord when his mother called upon the Lord and he, they saw the angel of the Lord and the Lord had made him a, a very wealthy man. And so I, it would make it probably a lot easier to forgive his father, but still it's amazing to me that, that he's there at that funeral. But anyway, let's go to verse number 11. Verse number 11. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt in Beer Lahoroi. Now that's really interesting because that's the place where Ishmael and Hagar met the angel of the Lord. It was a special place to Isaac. I mean, Isaac knew these people when they thought of God, kind of like we do. There's some people in in the United States that think when you come to church, that's when you come into the presence of God. You see God as a local God, and a lot of them, I think, in their minds, they still struggle with that too. That this concept of an omnipresent God, I don't think. Many of us can grasp that. But so, so he knew that the angel of the Lord had set foot there at Beer Laharoi, and so that was a sacred ground, and he wanted to live there. I imagine it was a beautiful place, too, an oasis right there in that desert. But it's also the place where he went out to pray about a wife, and that's when Rebecca showed up. That's the first time he saw Rebecca was at Beer Laharoi, and so, so he dwells there, and it's a special place to him. Then we get now to the genealogy of Ishmael, and we'll get some more names here, Brandon, so help me with these if I can't get them. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to the generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Adbiel, Mitsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jader, Naphish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were the names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to the nations. Now, do you remember when Hagar was at Beer uh, Laharoi? And she was there with Ishmael, and Ishmael was dying. He was, he was, he, he, they didn't have water. And, he had, and, and so he was dying, and she, she left him under a tree to die, and she went off to weep and pray to the Lord. And the angel of the Lord showed up, and remember what he told her about Ishmael. Ishmael would become a father of kings, a father of princes. And so we see that prophecy being fulfilled right here uh, in the names of these princes that we see. These were, the, verse number 17, these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 100 and 37 years. So he died 58 years before Isaac died. And he breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. And that's interesting there. I mean, I wonder where he was gathered to. You've got these two compartments in paradise, I mean, in Hades. You've got paradise, and then you've got this place of punishment where the rich man landed. I wonder where Ishmael went. Now, he knew of the angel of the Lord, no doubt he had seen the angel and heard the angel of the Lord. And so if he was a man of faith, then he ended up in paradise with his father, Abraham, and probably Hagar was there too. All this is speculation. We don't know. I, I mean, did he walk in faith? If he walked in faith, then he would have been uh, taken there. when he, he would have been gathered to the people of faith 
if he didn't walk in faith, then he would have been gathered to the people that were dwelling there with the rich man in the, in the story of the rich man, Lazarus. All right, anyway, they dwelt. That's just, that's just food for thought. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. As you go toward Assyria, he died in the presence of all his brethren. All right, then we come to verse uh, number 19. And, and now we're going to see this change in venue. I mean, we're going we're gonna to totally switch characters. We, we're done with the life of Abraham. We're done with Ishmael. We're going to get a little bit more about uh, Rebekah and Isaac. But where's the story going to shift now? It's going to shift to the story of Jacob and Esau. And really, primarily, who's it going to be about? It's going to be about Jacob. Because who is Jacob? Jacob, that line of Jacob is the line in which uh, David comes. And it's also the line in which Jesus Christ comes. And that's the Toledot. This genealogy that's followed throughout the Bible. These other Toledots, these genealogies, they stop. But this one continues on. And now we're switching genealogies here. And we're going to head into the genealogy of, 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 of uh, Isaac and then Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel and then so on down the line. And so that's how the, when the Bible was originally written, the Old Testament scriptures, it was broken down into these genealogies. And that's the purpose of the whole book to lead us to that genealogy in Matthew where we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so we get this genealogy now. We get this trail and we know we're changing subjects. He says, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. So we're done with Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. And and now instead of giving Isaac's genealogy, we're going to get this story about Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the, the sister of Laban. We'll see Laban later on, the Syrian. All right, so 20 years have passed since Isaac and Rebekah got married. So 20 years have gone by, and here is Rebekah, and she doesn't have any children. What's that remind you of? It's sort of like Abraham and Sarah's dilemma. They waited 25 years after God promised them a child. They waited 25 years before they had that child. Now, here's Isaac, and he's the heir of the promise, so he knows he's supposed to have a son. And now he's been married for 20 years, almost as long as Abraham waited, and he still doesn't have a son. And and, uh, he knew that all those promises that he inherited depended upon him having a son. But I don't think he had been praying about this. I don't think he really thought it was an urgent matter because he felt, because he was the heir of the promise, that, that the son was just going to come. I mean, that, that, that Rebecca was going to get pregnant and she was going to have a child and he was going to have an heir and the, the, the promises would be fulfilled through that heir. But it didn't happen. Uh, and, and I don't think he was praying about it to happen, but now he's waited 20 years. Now he's waited 20 years, and he's not having a son, and now he's going to get serious about his prayer life. He's going to get serious, and look what happens in, in verse number 21. It says, now, you know, now after 20 years, Isaac pleaded with the Lord. Now that pleaded means he really went to work praying, persistent prayer. It was sincere prayer. You know, that's the kind of prayer that gets answered. When we're really desperate and, and, and we're sincere about our prayers and we're, we're persistent with our prayers, 
then we're going to get an answer from the Lord. So, so now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for a wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea. Look at that. That's all he had to do. He had to get serious about his prayer life with the Lord, and the Lord gave him the answer that he was looking for. And he granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And so uh, he prayed a prayer that prevailed. It prevailed. Uh, he got an answer to that prayer. He got exactly what he, actually he got more than he was asking for. Isn't that just like the Lord? You know what Paul says over in Ephesians chapter 3? He says, he says, that God gives us exceedingly above and abundantly above all that we think or ask. I mean, that's what God wants to give us if, if we pray prevailing prayers. And, and, but this is not going to be an easy pregnancy on his wife because they think they're having a son, and they didn't have sonograms back then, but they've got, she has twins in her womb. So look at verse number 22. Then in verse number 22 it says, But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, Lord, then why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And so she gets serious about her prayers. And you can can see why. I mean, here's here's Rebecca. And she's been barren all her life. She knew what had happened to Sarah. And she she didn't want to be 100 years old, 90 years old when she had her baby. And she was barren all her life. And now... She's conceived, and she has a child. She doesn't know it's twins, but she has this child, and she has great joy. But then all of a sudden, there's problems. Uh, something really weird is going on inside. Uh, there, there's this turmoil inside of her, and she doesn't know what it is. She might have been having some pain. She might have been bleeding, uh, whatever, but she's afraid. She's really afraid that she's going to lose that baby. And... Uh, uh, so there's this struggle going on. I mean, is that even possible? It is, would it be even possible for these two twins to be struggling? I mean, these not two twins, but these two boys to be struggling with each other within her womb. Certainly it's, impo- it's possible. Those of you that did see the movie Unplanned, uh, that sonogram at the, at, at the abortion at the beginning of the movie you see this baby struggling for its life. And so here are these two babies in the womb, in, in Rebecca's womb, and they're struggling with, with each other to be the first out, to be the first to be born. Now, they don't understand anything at that point about uh, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. They don't understand that they're who, about the firstborn being the heir to the promises. They don't understand any of that, but they want out. And there's this struggle going on. And it's a very important struggle because the first one out, they don't know it, but the first one out is going to be the heir to the Abrahamic covenant. And so, so, uh, so this struggle begins and she prays to the Lord. And, and what does the Lord do? He answers. She's desperate. She's really desperate. She doesn't want to lose this baby. And she, she prays for wisdom and uh, she says, Lord, if everything's okay, then why is all this turmoil going on inside of me? Now, let me ask you a question. Is she going to get an answer from the Lord? You better believe she's going to get an answer to the Lord. Are you going to get an answer to the Lord if you ask the Lord for wisdom? You will get an answer from the Lord if you ask the Lord for wisdom every single time. Every single time you ask the Lord for wisdom, he will answer you. I've never asked the Lord for wisdom that the Lord didn't answer my prayer. 
I didn't like the answer sometimes. And so I asked for more, a different wisdom. That won't work. See, then you start doing that, you're going to be tossed to and fro. It's exactly what James says. He says in James chapter 1, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without re- gives to all liberally, all his children liberally and without reproach. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a pastor or you're a layman or, you're, or you don't do anything for the kingdom of God. If you're a child of God and you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. Now, to ask in faith without doubting means that you're going to believe that it's, that it's God that's answering you. And you're going to be willing to obey whatever God tells you you need to do. If he tells you you need to do something. She's not going to be told she needs to do anything, but she's going to have to believe what God tells her. And so if you're willing to do that, then you're going to hear from God. God always answers uh, our prayers for wisdom. If you need wisdom from the Lord, you seek the Lord until you get it. You're going to get that wisdom. All right, now, listen to the answer that he gives her, and he gives her an an answer in in the form of a prophecy. Look at the prophecy that he gives her here. The Lord said to her, he says, says, two nations are in your womb. Now, what two nations are those? The Edomites and the Israelites, Two, two nations. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people, Israel, is the, who he's talking about here, shall be stronger than the other, the Edom. And the older, Esau, who is the father of the Edomites, shall serve the younger, Jacob, who is the father of the Israelites. So she gets this wonderful prophecy here, uh, and uh, uh, she believes it. I have, I have no doubt that she she believes this prophecy. Now, look at the next verse. So, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. That's the Hebrew word Edom. That's that's where you get the Edomites. He was like a hairy garment. All over. You ever known people like that? They're hairy all over. Uh, Harry is, not Harry, but Esau. Harry, the the Hebrew word for Harry is Esau. Not the name Harry. I'm talking about H-A-I-R-Y. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So the name was called Jacob. The name Jacob literally means heel catcher. He caught his heel. It later came to be to mean uh, deceiver or wheeler dealer. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who who's really uh, uh, shrewd in business. And so Jacob fit that bill too. Isaac was sixty years old when she she bore them. So he waited twenty years. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skilled hunter. I mean, Esau was a man's man. I mean, this hairy guy uh, who could hunt. I mean, in those days, hunting was like playing in the NFL. I mean, if you were a good hunter, I mean, you were something else. A man of the field. And Jacob was a mild man. Literally, that means a sissy. He was a big sissy dwelling in tents. And so... I got to ask the question, who would you pick 
to be the heir to the promise if you were God. Now, not You know the rest of the story. But if you didn't know the rest of the story, you saw here's this sissy, Jacob, and here's this skillful hunter, uh, Esau. Who are you going to pick? You're going to pick Esau. That's who Isaac picked. But that's not who God picked. God doesn't always pick the man's man. He picks the sissies of this world. Let me give you a passage real quick, or let's go to a passage real quick that will keep you humble if you're a believer. Look at it, go to it from time to time and just read it, and it will remind you of, of at least who you were before you came to Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look down at verse number 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brethren. All of you, and sister, and all of you who are saved, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, men's men, not many noble are called, but God has cho- chosen the foolish things of this world. That, that You fit in that bill? I do. Of this world to, to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are Mighty. Now, why does God do that? Look at verse number 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Look, more than likely, when you came to Christ, you fit that bill. You weren't very wise. You were very foolish. You weren't very mighty. You were pretty much a nothing. You were a worm. Let's just face it. I mean, that's where most of us were when, when Christ picked us up and he saved us. That's who we were. That's not who we are now because Christ takes the foolish and makes us wise. Christ takes the weak and he makes us mighty in him. And so you're not that way anymore, but that's who you were. And that's who I was when Christ picked me out of the gutter and chose me to be a child of God. Can we, can you even fathom that, that God would do that for us? All right, now let's go back and finish up with our text. One last verse here and we'll be done. And Isaac, verse number 28, chapter 25, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his, he ate of his game. He liked the fact that he was a hunter, and uh, he got to eat the steaks. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, that is very bad parenting. Very bad parenting. Very bad. You're going to cause what you're not only going to cause trouble in your relationship with the other child that you don't love as much as you do the the one one of the children or the other children. Uh, you're going to cause relationship among those siblings. You're going to cause them to fight the rest of their life, and so that's bad parenting. So don't don't, don't take a, any lessons from that, other than don't parent like that. You know, why did Isaac love Esau? Because Esau was a man's man. He was a man who, who uh, hunted the meat. Rebekah loved Jacob because he was a sissy who cooked the meat. Uh, but you've got to go back and you've got to think about uh, Rebekah here too. She also had received this promise from God. 
that uh, uh, the 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 weaker would serve the the stronger would serve the weaker, and so she knew that the promise was going to be inherited by Jacob. In fact, that's why she does all this this, uh, this or uses all this deception to get Jacob the birthright because she believed this prophecy, and she's going to take it in her own hands to get him the birthright. God was going to do it anyway, but. But uh, she's going she's gonna to play a part in that. So uh, we'll look at that story. We're going to stop there because one of the most important stories in the entire Bible is right here in the next few verses. So we'll get to that next week. But, but I want to finish up, and I want to talk a little bit about these two prayers that uh, Isaac and uh, Rebecca prayed and what the lessons that we can learn from them. And there's several lessons that we can learn from them about prevailing prayer. First of all, Listen to this very carefully. If you're struggling in your prayer life, you especially want to listen. Prevailing prayer is answered prayer. It's answered prayer. If you're praying to God and you're not getting answers from God, you are doing something wrong. I'm telling you that right now because God wants to give you an answer to your prayer. So prevailing prayer is answered prayer. Both Rebecca and Isaac got their prayers answered. Now, it took Isaac a long time before he had that son and before he was driven to, 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 to pray a prevailing prayer, but, but both of them had their prayers answered. The first, and here's where Isaac went wrong, the first thing you have to do to have prevailing prayer, you have to be willing to ask God to, to meet your needs. You've got to ask. Uh, James puts it like this, you have not because you ask not. I mean, there's a lot of people who just simply won't ask God. And they won't ask God because they haven't liked some of the answers that God has given them past their, to their prayers. Or maybe God hasn't answered them uh, as, as quickly as they would like God to have answered them. And so they just quit praying. And the reason we do that is, is we don't believe that God's going to answer those prayers. That's one. Oh, it's just our pride. Our pride in ourselves. Human pride says, hey, we can fix these problems ourselves. We don't need the Lord. Now, that's why prevailing prayer is usually desperate prayer. We'll talk about that in just a minute because, because we got to be brought to a point where, we, where, where like Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca were, where, where if God didn't intervene, they were in serious trouble. They weren't going to get the things that they wanted in life. Their, their, their promises weren't going to, the promises of God weren't going to be fulfilled. And we know God's promises to them were unconditional, and they're going to be fulfilled, but, but uh, they still had to ask. You've got to ask. Again, that's the first thing we need to notice here, because God wants to answer your prayers. He wants your prayer to be prevailing prayer. That's the kind of prayer he wants you to have. He doesn't want you to be losing in your prayer life. He wants you to be winning in your prayer life. He wants you to have victory in your prayer life. He wants you to do great and wonderful things for him. And, he, and in order to do that, you've got to have prevailing prayer. John put it like this in 1 John chapter 5. He says, he, and if you want to log the, the numbers, 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. That if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of him. 
So if we ask in his will, and I think all of our prayers should be in his will, then, then God wants to answer those prayers. He's going to answer them in his time, but he's going to answer those prayers. And, he, and, and it begins with having wisdom. And so the first thing we ask for is the wisdom. I mean, God, what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to do this. Okay, God, I need you to do this to help me do this. And, and then you know you're, you're praying according to God's will. And that leads me to the next lesson that we can learn here about prevailing prayer. And that is that it is desperate prayer. It's desperate prayer. And because it's desperate prayer, it's sincere prayer. You know, God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He seeks those who pray to him sincerely. There's a lot of prayer that we do that's not sincere. You want to know how you can tell if your prayer is sincere or not? Whether or not it's persistent prayer. So desperate prayer leads to sincere prayer, which leads to persistent prayer. See, both Isaac and Rebecca were in desperate situations. And when they and so when they prayed, they were sincere in their prayers, and God knew that they were sincere, that their hearts were sincere. And so they were persistent in their prayers. We don't know how long they prayed, but we know that he we, we get this word here that he pleaded with the Lord. And he, to plead means it was persistent and it was desperate prayer. And so it was sincere prayer. You know, that works for us. That's exactly the way we need to pray. We need to recognize that our situation is desperate. If you don't, can't look at this country and see how desperate of a situation we're in, you're blind is all I can say. You're spiritually blind because we are spiritually in a very dark situation in the United States of America. We're in a desperate situation. Let me tell you what, if certain people get in power, you're going to see just how desperate of a situation it is. But we shouldn't be waiting for that. We should be sincerely praying for this country. We should be persistently praying for this country because we live in desperate times. And if you're not moved to do that, there's something wrong with you. Is there something wrong with your relationship with the Lord? If you're just saying, well, we just wait and see what happens, God moves through prayer. I mean, I don't, well, I'm not going to get into politics here. I'll leave that, leave that alone. But, but we need God to move in the United States of America today more than, than we ever have, I believe. You know, and I see this, I see this play out in our prayers. I'll give you an example. And here on Wednesday nights, somebody will lift up a prayer. First, an uncle up in Minnesota. I'm just using, throwing out a, a hypothetical situation here. And that uncle has, let's say he has cancer. Well, if that's your uncle, and you know that man, it's real easy for you to be sincere in your prayers. It's because you're desperate. You, you love him and you, you, you don't want to see him die. But for me, I don't know your uncle. And so I can't pray sincerely for him. Now, now, some people can do that. I give people, there's some people that, man, they can pray for, they can pray for anybody. I, 
I have to be, I want to be sincere in my prayers. And I'll tell you how you can measure your prayers. If you come here on Wednesday night and somebody lifts up a prayer for their uncle who has cancer up in Minnesota, and you walk out of here and you never pray for them again, you weren't sincere. Now, if you really took it on your heart to pray for their uncle, then you're going to keep praying for their uncle. So, see, I, I think it's really important that, that, that we're the ones who pray for the ones we know because our prayers are going to be sincere. And because they're sincere, they're going to be persistent. And because they're persistent, they're going to get an answer. Haphazard, insincere prayers are not prevailing prayers. They won't get an answer. I mean, we can all we could all get down on our knees this morning and we could pray for the United States of America, and I, I believe most of the people in this room would be sincere. And I believe they would leave here, and I believe they would go home and they would pray for the United States of America. I believe most of you in this room are probably paying, praying for the... I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass those who aren't, but I believe most of us are praying for that because we're, we all see the situation as desperate. So, so it's, you know, it shouldn't have to come to that, but really that's the way it works. And, and, and really, all of us are desperate. I mean, this church is desperate. We don't know how desperate we are. We're, 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 if, spiritually, all of us aren't where we should be. We're in a desperate situation. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And, and so, so we ought to all be being praying for that as much as anything, that we're filled with the Spirit of God, that God's Spirit comes down on us, and that we have power to go out into the, to, to the city of Lafayette and to win all sorts of people to Jesus Christ. We're really desperate, and we don't even realize how desperate we are. And I, I'm, I'm right there with everybody. I'm not trying to judge anybody. But, but it's good to be desperate sometimes because then you sincerely pray. I mean, you, I mean, we sincerely pray for revival. We sincerely pray that God would fill us with his spirit so that we can win people to Jesus Christ. And that kind of prayer, that kind of prayer prevails. Let me tell you what, if you're the one with cancer, you're going you're gonna to be desperate and you're going to be sincere and you're going to be persistent in your prayers. You're going to keep on seeking. You're going to keep on knocking. See, that's what persistent prayer is. That's what desperate prayer is. It's consistent, and we keep on seeking, and we keep on knocking until we get an answer from the Lord. And I promise you, we will get an answer from the Lord if we're praying according to his will. You think it's God's will that the United States of America is in the fix it is in today? No. That's not his will. So to pray for God to help this country spiritually, I think is a legitimate prayer that we all need to be praying. Now, right along those lines, prevailing prayer is humble prayer. And I've already really touched on this already, but, but you've got to come to a point uh, where, where your friends can't fix your problem, you can't fix your problem, the government can't fix your problem, and you humble yourself and you say, Lord, only you can do what I need done in my life. Only you can fix the situation that's, that's wrong in my life. Only you can do that. That's really what the prayer of salvation is. It's, it's a humble prayer. It's a desperate prayer. It's a persistent prayer. 
It's a sincere prayer. A lot of people say a sinner's prayer, they never get saved because they, they, they miss this step. Prevailing prayer is humble prayer. You've got to humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and let him lift you up. And so prevailing prayer is humble prayer. Now here's a really interesting lesson that I learned from this. And that is that prevailing prayer is required even for the unconditional promises of God. Now that's, that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, was Isaac going to have a son? Had God promised Isaac a son? He was going to have a son. And I think for a while Isaac just said, I'll just wait. God's going to give me a son. But then 20 years passed and he got desperate and he pleaded with the Lord. And so in order for him to get the promise, he had to make the prayer. Even though it was an unconditional promise of God that he would have a son, he had to pray to get that son. Now, there's a paradox in play here. I mean, I mean, I, I don't believe Isaac would have gotten the son if he hadn't prayed for the son, and yet God had promised before the foundation of the world that he would give him the son. But it required that he ask. Let me, let me show you a couple of places where that applies to us. Let me give you an example. Uh, I think it applies to all the unconditional promises made to believers. You can't just take a promise and then not ask for God to fulfill that promise in your life. It won't work. I mean, when you got saved, you found out that you were chosen in Christ to be a child of God before the foundation of the world. You see that right in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But you wouldn't have got saved if you hadn't said some sort of sincere sinner's prayer. So it's the election of God functioning with your choice. And prayer is choice. God wants us to make the choice to value the promise. I mean, he gives us these unconditional promises, but... They're of no good to us if they're not of any value. We profane those promises, just like Esau's going to do. We're going to see next week. He could care less about the promises. It wasn't as valuable to him as a, as a bowl of lentil stew. But when you really sincerely want to be saved and you want to be a child of God, then you're going to pray a sinner's prayer, a sincere sinner's prayer. You're going to ask God to be Lord of your life. You're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life even though God had chosen you for that life even before the foundation of the world, you still had to ask for it. Let me give you another example. God has promised that before the great tribulation comes to this earth, that he is going to rapture every believer out of this world, and we're going to be with him. We're going to meet him in the air. Trumpet's going to blow, we're going to meet him. That's a promise in the Bible. And I, and I got to tell you, when you start seeing these attacks on the Saudi uh, Arabia wells like we saw yesterday, we, we're not too far off. For that trumpet's going to blow. And the Lord's going to call us home to be home with him. And then the great tribulation's going to be begin. And then we're going to go into the millennium. We're not too far. That's a promise. All of that's promised in the word of God. It's an unconditional promise. But Jesus commanded us 
And I'm reading from Luke chapter 21, verse 26. He says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things which will come to pass, speaking of the great tribulation, and to stand before the Son of Man. You got that? What's that imply? That implies if I don't watch and I don't always pray, then the rapture's going to come and I'm not going to get to go. If you're not watching and you're not praying, then I got to tell you, it's a, there's something wrong with us spiritually. I mean, I mean, there's a paradox here. It, I mean, we're told to watch and pray. And if we don't watch and pray, uh, we're not going to make it. And we've got to watch and pray that we're counted worthy. How are we counted worthy? How are we, what makes us worthy to be raptured? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us worthy. But you still got to watch and pray. Now, what's that prayer? I mean, I already have been covered in the blood. Thank you for that blood, Lord. Because I look out on this world and I look at what's going on all around me and I look at all these evil people and all the evil things that they're doing and I'm no better than them except by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that blood that covers me that makes me righteous. Thank you, Lord, for that blood. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what happens on this earth, that if it gets too bad, you're going to take me out of here. I watch and pray because I long to be with you more than I long to be in this world. See, that's what it means to watch and pray. Now, well, how do, you, how do you solve the paradox? Because if you are a born-again believer, you're going to be watching and praying. I mean, you're going you're gonna to be watching and praying. Now, it, maybe things haven't got as desperate for you as they need to get, but they'll get desperate enough, you just wait. But you'll be watching and praying too if you're not there yet. i got to tell you, it's desperate out there right now. It's time to be sincere, and it's time to be persistent, and it's time to look up because your redemption draws nigh. And if you don't long for the coming of the Lord, Paul says, then you're not of the Lord. You're not a child of God. I mean, you, you've got to, if you can look at this world and say, hey, this is all okay, then you're not a child of God. But if you're longing for the Lord, and you're watching for the Lord, and you're praying, thank you, Lord, for your blood, then when that trumpet blows, you're going to go and be with the Lord. Now, let me give you the biggie, and this is the last one. Prevailing prayer is believing prayer. you got to believe. You know, Isaac believed. There's no doubt he believed. He got a little lax in his prayer life, but, but how could he not believe? He had encountered the Lord on Moriah. Remember, when, when he was on Moriah, he was about to be, a, you know, a burnt offering. And he encountered the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord spared his life. And he had, he had had other encounters with the angel of the Lord, I'm sure. And so, 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 so he believed. There's no doubt he had faith. It had diminished some at this point, but, but he still knew where to turn when he was in trouble. And when he was in trouble and, he was, and things were desperate, he called upon the Lord. Rebecca believed. No doubt she believed. I don't know that she had an encounter with the angel of the Lord, but she had an encounter with Eleazar. And all of those miracles of providence took place that brought her together with, with Isaac. And so she believed. But now 20 years have passed, and, and, and she's barren, and so, so she's 
she's still wondering about the Lord. And now she's having this turmoil in her belly. And she's wondering if she's going to really have this child. But she believed enough to go to the Lord and pray to the Lord. And the Lord answered her prayer. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7, 17, 20. He said, if you have faith, nothing is impossible for you. If you have faith, nothing is impossible for you. That's, is that just hyperbole? Or is that the word of God? That is the word of God. But there's a paradox working here too. You can only do the impossible when you prevail in your prayers. And there can be no prevailing prayer without faith. And there can be no faith without prevailing prayer. Because faith and prayer, answered prayer, go hand in hand. Prevailing prayer and faith go hand in hand. Look, if you're not in a close relationship with the Lord, I can tell you why. Because you're not prevailing in your prayers. Because let me tell you what, when you get answers to your prayer, what happens to your faith? Your faith soars. And when your faith soars, what happens to your prayer life? Your prayer life soars. It all goes hand in hand. There's a paradox there. You gotta have, you gotta have one to have the other. And so, how do we solve this paradox? Well, Jesus solved it when he told the disciples, when he, when he's told them you can do anything that's impossible, he also told them that this kind of faith comes from prayer and fasting. He's not, I don't think he was talking about fasting from food here. He was talking about fasting from this world and being in fellowship with the Lord. See, that's what fasting is. It's turning from the things of this world and turning to the Lord. And if you're turning to the Lord and you're in fellowship with the Lord, guess what? You're praying to the Lord. You're praying prevailing prayers to the Lord and you're praying those prevailing prayers and those prevailing prayers are getting answered and what's happening to your faith? Your faith is growing and you're getting to the point where you believe that you can do the impossible. And if you're, if we're down in a ditch, then we're going nowhere in our faith. It's because we're not praying and we aren't fasting from this world. But you begin to turn from this world and you turn to the Lord. And you're going to start praying, prevailing prayers. And your faith's going to soar. And you're going to see the great things that God can do in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the great privilege we have to come to you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege we have to have you by your spirit living in our very souls. Lord, the fact that we can choose to fellowship with you or we can fellowship with the things of this wicked world. It's a choice we have every moment of every day. Lord, to live in constant fellowship with you. And Lord, when we live in constant fellowship with you, we know that we're living in a a life of prayer. And that life of prayer builds our faith, Lord, and our prayers are answered because we have faith. Father, it's just such a simple formula if we'll just set our mind on things above and not upon this earth. And truly turn to you in love because you love us so much, Lord, and we're so grateful to you. And 
we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to every one of us to, to make a difference in this world. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do that by the power of your Spirit. Make us mighty men of God, not the fools we weren't once were not the weak people we once were but wise and mighty men and women of God you can do that Lord through prayer through prevailing prayer I just ask that you help us be that kind of warrior today I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ it's in his precious name that I pray amen